Why, hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Doe Paro over Zoom video. Doe Paro was born and raised in Syracuse in New York, and she talks about how she got into music. She is self-taught as a vocalist, piano player, and a guitar player. Always loved songwriting, even wrote and recorded and released a record during her junior year of high school. She ended up going to Ohio, attended Oberlin College. She talked about moving to San Francisco for a year, starting a duo, playing in that duo for about a year, then moving to New York, where she formed another band. Did that band for a a long period of time. When the band fizzled out, she ended up taking a trip to India and really finding herself there with meditation and just learning a whole different style of music and that's where she really found her voice she moved back to new york and started to put together her first record which is called soft power she talks about putting out that album putting out her next record which ended up getting signed to anti sending a cold email to bonnie Vare, having him respond he produced a song on the record called the wind she talked about putting out her next record and all about her most recent EP, which she incorporates a ton of her sound healing instruments. And that new EP is called Divine Surrendering. You can watch our interview with Doe Paro on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be rad if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be amazing if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Doe Paro. Why, hello. Hi, Adam. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm one second. Sorry, it's something in my throat. <laughs> they want to like, like in your ear. So uh, <laughs> if you did, I would have been okay with it. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay. Well, um, I appreciate you being here. This is awesome. Thank you so yeah. much. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, this is about you and your journey in music. And we'll talk about the new EP you have coming out as well. Great. Cool. Uh, so talk to me. Born and raised. Did I see New York area? Yep. Uh Syracuse, New York. Talk to me about that a little bit. So funny. The thought I just had was, um, I used to say all the time, I'm from upstate New York, but then I lived in New York City and had to adjust for all the New York City folks. Oh, okay. Kingston, upstate, so now I'm like central New York. Um, You know, it was very snowy, which at the time (laughs) was quite a magical thing that uh, I've appreciated a lot looking back. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like being in, in deep blizzards and building like little mouse tunnels with my brother and sister in the front lawn because it was like six feet of snow. Oh, wow. Really crazy amount of snow. I, I interviewed somebody yesterday, the day before that was living in uh, Alaska for a short period of time. And he was like, yeah, like we would just like, you know, dig mazes in the yard. <laughs> like that's how they entertain themselves. That was it. We'd put on like snowsuits and like crawl through these little tunnels that we built. That's pretty awesome. I will say. Yeah, yeah. Looking back, it, it definitely was kind of a, a certain magic. <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm. I, I think you're in LA now, or you? you yes, I am. Okay, so I'm from San Diego originally. I'm recently moved. Or I guess like a little over a year ago, uh, mm-hmm. my family and I we moved to Nashville area or south of Nashville, and so my kids are seeing snow for the first time, and the, like it's so cool. Like I loved seeing it come down. I'm and I have a neighbor across the street that's from Illinois, and he's like so over it like i thought i moved away from the snow wow yeah for us it was like oh my gosh this is so awesome totally the wonder right it's so cool like i I can't imagine growing up in that much snow to where you could dig yourself tunnels (laughs) (laughs) well you said two siblings is anyone else musical in your family at all no parents no No? (laughs) okay what drew you to music you know, maybe it was the snow. I, I think um, growing up in Syracuse, we had such like so many blizzards and would often get snowed in. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and those were quite creative periods for me, just like from a very young age to have to like, it's, I'm thinking about it now because with the pandemic, that was another stage of being closed in where yeah, I had no problem like being really creative during it. I feel like, uh, yeah, growing up in Syracuse sort of prepared me for that. Yeah, I was going to say, I did from just what I've read about you, it seems like being kind of like alone, like isolated is kind of a, a, a happy space for you in the sense of like, that's where you wrote your first record, right? It was similar situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. That's interesting. I want to get into that for sure. So, um, but what, what did you learn first? Like were piano is the first thing that you learned as far as like music went or like, what was the first instrument you learned? I am self-taught. Um, so I, yeah, I was just learning to sing. Um, I play, I, I guess in high school, I was, I uh, took a few guitar lessons and um, yeah, but like piano is something I, I learned along the way. Okay. I and obsessed with writing songs. <laughs> so when did you start writing? Uh, I made a, a record when I was, I think uh, in 11th grade. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. And um, was that just, uh, obviously the, that wasn't the first record you put out, right? No, I never no. put it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I distributed it to my friends. Um, no, uh, the first record I put out like officially was Slow to Love, which I released in 2012. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was thinking. So this is a record that you just what wrote, recorded and, and distributed yeah. amongst your friends in high school. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow. Songwriting. Yeah. Songwriting's always really, um, songwriting's always just been a super special place for me. And especially in those teenage years, that was uh, an outlet that felt really soothing, I guess, mm-hmm. self-soothing. Would you share those songs? With, I mean, obviously with your friends and on this recording, but prior to that, were you sharing your songs with people? No, I think it was something that kind of woke up in those teenage years was that I, that was a desire I had to write songs. <laughs> I didn't okay. <laughs> Did you play out at all or play yeah. at the school or talent shows, anything like that? Yeah, I play out. Um, I, I've always had like a lot and still do sometimes like performance anxiety. So mm-hmm. it's a weird paradox that I live in of like loving making music and then also struggling with sharing it. Um, so I would make my way out with a lot okay. of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with a lot of trepidation. Trepidation. Yeah, with that, with that first record or the tape or whatever you put together in eleventh grade, was that something you recorded in a studio or is it home recordings? Like, yeah. Uh, how'd you, oh, I remember I went to a studio for a day. I don't know how I even put this together. Thinking back, I was just like this idea I became obsessed with, and I found a studio in the city of Syracuse and rented it for a day and just like went in there with the guitar. That was like the days of Jewel, you know, those oh, are the sure. days of like the songwriter who just went in with guitar. So I had a lot of um, role models of how that could go down. Okay. Jewel, was Jewel a big one for you? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because her songs were so simple mm-hmm. on guitar. So it was like really easy to learn them. So that I think that that was one reason I latched at that age. Okay. Yeah. And then you, you went in the studio and you're, so that first uh, record you released was just you and acoustic guitar. Yep. Wow. Nine songs you, in one day. Oh my gosh. That's insane. You know who, I, I think it was just like, I didn't know. I didn't know what to go into a studio was. I didn't even know that you could go for more than one day. I think right. Just, right. You just go in there. Was it, you obviously had an engineer. Did you just do it all live? Yeah. I think we just did like two takes for every song and I was like, cool. <laughs> Like, here you go. <laughs> do you still have that uh, demo somewhere, or do you have that recording somewhere? It's somewhere. It's somewhere in Syracuse. I definitely did not bring it out to LA. <laughs> you weren't going to shop it around. <laughs> <laughs> no. Every, every like maybe every ten years, I'll I'll listen to it and be like mostly cringe, but then there's also like this real resilience in it that I appreciate and, and like the seeds of something. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. So from there, you knew that you wanted to pursue music. It sounds like, I mean, being in 11th grade, putting out a record like that, uh, did you, where did you go from there? Did you try to attend college for music? I did see you did some traveling, right? Yeah. Um, I, I didn't, like I said, I never really 
formally studied music in college. Um, I went to a school that had a music conservatory and I think I was quite intimidated uh, by the fact that I didn't have a formal education in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took like, you know, I took sitar and I, uh, I, I kind of studied like ethnomusicology, but I, I didn't actually go into songwriting there, which I wish I did. Um, was that a then, school in, in, where was that? Like around New York area? Uh, Oberlin. Oh, Oberlin. oh yeah. No way. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. So my great, my grandmother, my dad's mom went to Oberlin. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like I have her report. She passed away when I was like four. Uh, but my grandfather, his wife passed away like three or four years ago. And he was like my hero, but uh, we were going through his stuff and I found my grandmom's uh report card from Oberlin College like it was crazy just like it was just like this slip of paper like this big and we went and visited it before it's such a cool little town like it was just in the my, my family lives in uh or they're from Illyria I don't know if you ever went through there oh my gosh of course Illyria wow yeah. yeah so that's fairly close I think it's only what like 20 minutes or something like that to Oberlin that's the town I, I think Tony Morrison, the author, is from Illyria. Is he really? (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. Um, Wow. And that's so cool because Oberlin, I believe, was the first school to admit women. I think it was. I think it was, too. So how cool that your grandmother was probably like. Well, she might have been one of the first people there, right? I mean, she went to school there, I think, in the early 40s. So I don't know when. The school. I mean, it's I, I, now I want to do some deep dive because I didn't realize that I, now it makes sense. I think it was the first that let women in and yeah. she went to for vocals. She was a singer. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's crazy. So, oh, my gosh. And that's such a cool town. We went. I took my went there with my my grandfather because he, he wanted to show me like this because I didn't even know this existed. I'm like, this is like a cool arts college in the middle of Ohio and like you know, outskirts <laughs> of Cleveland. Like, what is this? <laughs> And there was this little, we went to this little like brewery type restaurant there on the corner. It was cool. It's such a cool little town. Yeah. It's a really special place. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, a formative time for sure. What, like, what did you guys have to, I mean, there doesn't seem like there's a whole lot to do, you know, like in the area that it's at. Did you like go out around, like, did you have to drive out to like, Am- like I have uncles in Amherst, you know, Amherst. Yeah. I mean, there were people like the city, especially kids from the city, they would go a lot to Cleveland. It was like another Syracuse situation, right? Where there's nothing to do. So it's just like the perfect space to be hyper creative because you just need to create your own world. Sure, sure. Um, So that's what I felt like Oberlin was. It was like a bunch of people who were creating worlds together in the middle of Ohio. Yeah, that's so cool. And like I said, it's such a cool, like it's such a cool looking school um wow so did you went there for four years or did you end up leaving there or i you know in the end i only went there for three years because i i went to another school first and then transferred out okay so did you go to oberlin to pursue music then it sounds like no i didn't i i think subconsciously i was like you know i want to be around musicians and certainly all the musicians friends that i made there you know were people that definitely I think, yeah, that, that was a big part of my path after college, but I studied painting as a visual artist. Oh, cool. Do you still paint? I don't. It was a weird thing. I was like obsessively painting for seven years of my life and then just stopped. Oh, really? Interesting. (laughs) I I don't know. There's not like much of a story there, except I just got really, I think I burnt out and lost interest. Okay. Um, the collaborative aspect of music really enlivens me. And I think some of the soloness of painting is, is a lot. <laughs> yeah. And where'd you go from? So you left Oberlin, you went to, you said a different school after Oberlin? No, I, I went into oh, Oberlin at, and then oh, you went into Oberlin. Okay. And, and then, then from I, there, did, where did, what was next yeah. for you? Um, a year, I did a year in San Francisco and then I moved to New York. Oh, wow. Okay. What did you do? I lived in San Francisco for a little bit too. Uh, did you move to San Francisco just to kind of change the pace, pursue a different, or were you going there for music as well, or just? Yeah, I had my friend Lesh Wazinski. He's in this. His band is called the California Honey Drops. Okay. 
he went to Oberlin. And when I graduated, I wasn't really sure what to do. And he was like, I think you should move out to San Francisco and start a band and play music here and I'll help you. And, and so he did, he kind of, I moved there and he mentored me and I started like a little duo that I played with. And then I was like, I think it's time to move to New York. <laughs> okay. Did you, how long did you play in the duo for? Probably like most of the year. I think I, I did. Yeah. Maybe it was like a, a nine month thing where I kind of saw what it, like, I started to understand how to do that. We'd play, um, we would play the hotel Utah every week. Okay. We'd go there. I never, I know the, I know the spot. I never went there though. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if it's around still, but it was like a very cool open mic, um, really supportive scene. And I, I started to see how that could work a bit. Okay. And then did you, fr- from that group, did you end up, Kind of, is that where you started to kind of pursue uh, a solo career? Yeah, it was funny. We actually made an EP. The group was called Heaven With Your Boots On. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the person who recorded the EP, Nate, he's actually in that band Tune Yards. And he oh, was really? from Oberlin. So that wow. was, yeah, it was like more Oberlin connections. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And then did you, you went to what, traveled like the Himalayas? Is that what I was reading about you? Yeah. Um, was I that guess, later or was that later? I moved to New York and then I was pursuing, I had like another band that I kind of took to its natural end. Like it just, it was me sort of working through a lot of the kinks, I think in mm-hmm. pursuing a music career while waitressing. And was that something you were taking? Like you wanted that to be like the thing, like mm-hmm. were you trying to get signed and the like, touring and everything with that band in New York? I was, yeah, I was definitely trying <laughs> and couldn't like, it, it just, I, I couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. I couldn't figure it out. Um, and so then, yeah. So uh, I think like 10, 11 years ago, I went to India and my plan was actually to just stop pursuing music and really, yeah. Yeah. That was my plan. I was like, I, I can't figure this out. <laughs> um, so you, you just went there to what, try to find what you wanted to do next, find your, next yeah yeah I did. Your, like, your life i guess i did i wanted to uh get my yoga teacher training i knew that was something i always wanted to do and i wanted to do um a vipassana meditation at the main center there it's like a 10-day silent meditation retreat oh wow yeah what was that like i actually had a buddy that did something similar where he went somewhere and like, you just don't speak for like a week. He did, I think his was like six or seven days, but 10 days yeah. you just kind of, is that, uh, was that, I mean, that must've been so, was it difficult? Like, tell me about this. Um, it was so surprising. I, I think it, it definitely was difficult. And also like what I found most surprising about it was that when we had to start talking again at the ninth day, Cause they have like a day where they, you begin talking to everybody on the course. So to integrate the process before you go home, mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk. That was what surprised me the most. Really? <laughs> I felt so like at peace. I, I was shocked. Okay. Wow. That's so fascinating. Oh yeah. I was going to say, did you, you almost like maybe the muscle memory would get weird there. I mean, I don't know. My voice was definitely a bit higher, um, but I remember just being like the silence was so deeply peaceful that I think as soon as I started talking, I excused myself and then just had to cry for a little bit. I was like, oh, wow. A lot to process. But um, yeah. there's one in Massachusetts. There's a center in Shelburne, Massachusetts that I had done one at when I was like 26. And then a year later, I went to India and did one there. Wow. And then yeah. when you get back from there, is that when do you, cause your sound is like so unique for your, for your project. Thank you. Yeah. And was that something that you developed there or was that similar to like when you were pursuing your first band in New York, does it sound anything like what you're doing now? No, no, not at all. Um, I think, so what happened in India was I was traveling around for a bit. I, I did the, some teacher training. I dropped out of yoga training teacher training school there and ended up I ended up finding a really amazing teacher later on um and I ended also ended up finding this Tibetan Institute for Performing Arts Mm -hmm. um, which is yeah a 
a school and I started studying singing there when, yeah, in that first trip to India, I heard, I, 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 the way I found out about it was I heard this, somebody singing while I was walking and um, the singing was so ethereal. Oh, is it just totally different than anything you had ever heard before? Completely like, like mind bending. I didn't know that the human voice could do that. Um, I was with a friend. I was like, Hey, do you mind if we check out what that singing is? I like need to know. <laughs> right. Right. And, um, and when I got there, yeah, I, it, I ended up learning about, uh, Tibetan singing and it was, they were teaching all sorts of Tibetan, um, traditional Tibetan instruments and theater and opera. And uh, yeah, I asked if I could start studying there. And that really changed my voice because all of a sudden I realized I could sing super high notes that I never had access to or thought Mm -hmm. was possible. And um, it just, it really opened something up for me. Did you end up staying there for a while? Like, I mean, how long did you study at the school for? Yeah. So that was the beginning of like a longer relationship. I, the, the teacher who agreed to take me on was like, look, you, I can teach you one song. We'll start with one song and order learn that song. You have to come every day for a month for an hour. Wow. So- <laughs> so you had essentially just li- like, did you, when you went out there, were you going with a one-way ticket knowing that you wanted to maybe stay or like, I, no. I mean, for me, I would think like if I was going to another country and then I'm like, oh, this seems like something cool. And he's like, you got to come back every day for a month. And it's like, okay, now I got to figure out a place to live. Like, I, you know, I got to get a job. Like, are all these things that like start running through your mind? Totally. I mean, I was only planning to be in this town for two days. But I remember the thing is, I remember that being such an instant commitment. Like it was zero, doubtless. I, I was like 100%. Yes, I want to stay here and I'll, you know, change my plans. And it was just so clearly uh, something I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And then I started coming back like every other year I would go back and study pr- pretty much the same thing. I would just go to that one place in India and, and study for like, you know, a month to six weeks with that teacher. Wow. And then did you start, is that when you started to kind of use that style? Like, is that similar to the style that you use now in your, in your songs? I think it's integrated. Like it's just a part of my voice. I okay. was, singing from a much lower space before, like a, what they would call lower placement. Um, mm-hmm. And now I, I sing from a much higher placement and it's definitely from everything I learned there. And is that like, cause you, you on your website, you say that you're a sound healer. Is that something that kind of comes from that? Definitely. Definitely okay. learning how to use my voice in that way. Like to explain that to me. And that, cause that's something I was fascinated by. I, I was just like, I don't know. Remember like a couple of years ago, I was just like, I got in some rabbit hole on YouTube and I found like different frequencies can stimulate different parts of your brain, like the vagus nerve. And like, I'm just like, Whoa, this is like crazy. And like you, I would, you put your headphones on and like one, you know, it's, it's like one frequency in one ear is at a certain level and the other is at a different level. And then like, and I was like, this is crazy. And then I looked, I was looking at your Spotify and then you have a record that's in like 432 Hertz and I remember seeing something about that because the mainly stuff that you hear recorded are like wave files or MP3s are in 440. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, like what's this 430? So I'm Googling that. And like, is that all kind of like, are you, did you learn about different frequencies? Like, tell me, tell me about like this whole, is that all incorporated in the sound healing or am I just going totally on tangent? No, I mean, it's just things that I've learned along the way. And, oh, okay. and when we were making that record, um, I remember I actually did a lot of research on 432 Hertz at the time because uh, I wanted to make sure it wasn't just woo, like mm-hmm. made up woo, you know, fake news. Right, uh, right, right. But there is a lot of research that's been done where um, they've tested it and, and they've tested 432 Hertz clinically to, that shows listening to music at 432 Hertz does um, decrease like anxiety uh, symptoms. That's so crazy. So like when you say sound healers, are you going with those like that? Like, tell me, I guess you explain it to me. I have no idea. I'm just making, I'm just spouting <laughs> because it's, it's just so fascinating to me. Like, is that something that you take into consideration when you're recording a record? Like the, 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 the hurts that are, you're being at 
what it's the songs coming out at or anything like that? Definitely um, with the music that's more like specifically in this sound healing. Like I'm putting out another record probably later this year with float waves, the same person I did that first 432 Hertz and uh-huh. we'll play with different frequencies for that. Um, but the sound healing refers to kind of a like a spectrum of instruments. Um, I have like crystal singing bowls and okay. songs and percussion. And it, it's a mix of different things. People do like offer sound healing in different ways. I think one thing that I do that some don't is I also, I use those instruments and then I also use my voice. And the idea is kind of what you were starting to riff on that. Like everything has is vibration and frequency and music can be this sort of passive way that we can passive in that you don't have to do anything. It's not invasive. It's not, but it it can restore harmony to the body just by being in the presence of certain instruments or frequencies. Mm -hmm. And it sounds so woo, but I always say, say before I do sound healing, I'm like, you can come in with your skepticism and it's all good because it'll work nonetheless. And it usually does. Yeah. Oh, so do you do sound healing like because like a sound uh, sound bath, yeah, yeah, sound baths, right? Is where people kind of come together and they just kind of like what it's almost like you're meditating and then somebody's playing mm-hmm. like different instruments, right? I mean, I I can't remember who I interviewed somebody that was putting on something like that in Los Angeles. Like I can't remember who it was though, but like it's like different instruments right that you it's not you're going to go in it's not like a show show it's like you go in to kind of meditate right Mm -hmm. yeah it's a lot more experiential i mean there's some amazing sound baths you know facilitate facilitators in la um but yeah it's very experiential people are lying down and the lying down is supposed to promote this state of receptivity Mm -hmm. and yeah (laughs) <laughs> is that something you learn? Do you, do you uh, play those in- Like, do you play the instruments and kind of, and run the, like, I don't even know what you would call it. Like what the ceremony. Yeah, definitely. I, I do. I have, um, I mean, here's a, I have a sound bowl right here. I have oh, wow. like, ten of these. I have a gong. I have um, all sorts of percussion and chimes and tuning forks. And yeah. How long good. did it take you to learn all that? Well, I think I was slowly learning it, right? Like I was learning it. I was learning how to do it with the voice through my teacher in India, through the Tibetan Lamo style. And then I was also learning about how music can work as a healing because I was uh, studying for many years, going down to Peru and learning um, about ayahuasca. Uh, Okay. And a big part of the lineage that I was uh, sitting in it's one in which music is used as a way to activate healing um, through these songs that are called the Icaros. And so that was a, a big like mind opening thing too, of like, wow, there are all these cultures where songs are really considered legitimate medicines and activation of music, of uh, healing, of personal healing. So those two things were happening while I was touring as like an indie musician yeah okay wow yeah so you're learning all this and, and as to, and what were you touring um like that record the the first record you put out or like where like what where were you at yeah. as far as your music were going uh, that career path versus what you were doing there i mean it was like i was living two different lives basically okay. anytime because <laughs> i was you know i toured and then i signed to anti-records and i put out yeah there and whenever i wasn't touring or working on a record and had some extra cash, I would be like investing in my kind of spiritual path. Interesting. Yeah. Like that's so fascinating to me. And did it take a while to learn how to play the, all the different instruments? Yes. But it came really naturally because basically at a certain point I was like, this is super unsustainable. I'm like keeping, I'm like having a secret spiritual life that is just like right, right. immense and important to me. And I'm keeping it separate because I don't understand how it can work with this other lifestyle that feels actually quite unhealthy. <laughs> uh-huh. Were like, you able to blend the two at all? Or did yeah, that-, that, that? And that's kind of what happened at the end of like 2018. I was like, I just want to focus on 
music as a healing practice. And um, there's this woman out in Joshua Tree who makes drums. Mm-hmm. She teaches, she does like drum ceremony uh, where she, you go out there and you make a drum with her. And, and that was my beginning. I went out there for my birthday and made a drum with her. Really? Yeah. And then that was kind of like the start of my sound. It was so funny. It was like, that was quite the initiation. And then I just started learning from different people and getting instruments and playing and, you know, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, well, to back up real quick uh, on that first record, Slow to Love, tell me about putting that out. I mean, it's going back to the isolation thing. Is that something that you, did you like you recorded the, tell me about the recording of the record, right? It sounds like you like went to a cabin or something and you just kind of like isolated yourself. And what, what decision did you like, what was the decision behind that? And how quickly were you able to put the record together? Uh, that record came together so fast. It felt like deeply channeled. Okay. And, and I knew it because for years, like I mentioned, I was in New York trying to make things happen with this other band and it, it, I, writing every song just felt like this pushing a boulder uphill, like trying to get, trying to squeeze inspiration out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden I got back from India and the songs were just like moving through me. Um, I would have a conversation with somebody and I was like, that's a song. Um, and I was finding inspiration everywhere. So I, I had like no option. <laughs> I was like, this is it. Right. Right. I've never been here before in this place. I need to make a record. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I rented a little uh, cabin out in outside of Syracuse and went up there for just like a week to kind of figure out what, what I was going to do. Um, and that's where I started. I just was writing songs and I brought a little keyboard up there and, and kind of the first song I wrote for that record is called follow you till. Mm-hmm. Um, that one I wrote with guitar and I, yeah, I just like made it on garage band and that was so no, new to me. I was like, Oh, I can record myself and I can write a song. I can do this all by myself, but obviously, um, it would be great if I had somebody else to help me with this. So then so did I you end up hiring or you ended up having somebody come and record the record. So you didn't do the whole record on garage band. I did not. I did not. Okay. I did not do the whole record in band, not do the whole record in that um, cabin. That was kind of just like my pre-production visioning. My like uh, okay. station. And I did do that song out there. And then when I was out there, I was like, I should call Adam. And Adam was my, Super old. And then I answered. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And then you were like, yeah, we should do a podcast in 12 years. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, we'll do that. So like, there's going to be this pandemic and then we'll do it after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I have my friend Adam Rhodes, who um, I grew up with and is just an insane musician, really brilliant, sensitive person. Um, and we recorded and wrote most of the rest of the record together. Wow. And w- when that record's done, did you like knew you had something special? Did you try to then go out and just play those songs or tour those songs or t- pitch those songs to a record label? Like what was the kind of the next step for you? Yeah. Um, I knew, I knew I had something different because we played the first show we played was at pianos spot in New York. And, mm-hmm. um, and it was real. it was filled with people that I didn't know. And I was like, well, this is new because for so long I'd been playing New York and with my old band and it got to a point where I was like, I'm feeling bad about asking my friends to come to my show. Oh, right. Okay. And all of a sudden there was like this organic thing that was happening and everything kind of, it was like one thing to the next. And they say this about, I don't know, I don't know, they, my friends, it's like every time you release a song, it has the potential to change your life, like (laughs) writing and releasing it. And I think it does, even if only, you know, that you did it, Mm -hmm. but then there's something natural that comes where it also leads you on your own journey. And that's kind of what started happening with those songs, like from playing shows, um, we'd have managers show up and, uh, you know, public, there was just like all sorts of things that that was recreated from that. That must've been pretty exciting though. It was. Oh yeah. 
It was exciting. I was also an initiation. I mean, I didn't know anything about the music business. Uh-huh. I didn't go to school from it. I didn't have anyone in my family. It was from Syracuse. So it was like I was super naive. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to learn pretty quickly? Yeah. And I'm still learning, <laughs> of course. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, it took you a handful of years to, to put out then that next record, which signed with Anti, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it just more, was it just grinding and touring and trying to write and write and write? Like what was the, the path in between those two albums? Yeah. So that first record that I released, I became, I was like very obsessed with Licky Lee's record at the time. Okay. Yeah. And um, I looked at the record and saw that this guy, Lasse Martin had mixed it. So I reached out to him. That was like, my thing was, I was always willing to like rogue, be super rogue and just email people. <laughs> yeah, Put yourself out there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I just e- found his email and emailed him and was like, Hey, this is my music. Would you be interested in mixing one of the songs on slow to love? And he did. And from mixing that, he mixed a song called can't leave you. Um, he was like, actually, my wife and I are looking to start a publishing company with BMG. Oh, and wow. Yeah. Why don't we sign you and bring you out to Sweden? And you can write with a bunch of our songwriters here. Learn the, learn the Swedish way. Wow. So did that. Off a cold email. Off a cold email. <laughs> Very good That's luck. crazy. Wow. Okay. So then do you move out to Sweden or go out to Sweden to, to write? Yeah. So this is again, like Swedish winter, you know, back to Syracuse and Oberlin, like just lockdown. Your spot. Yeah. You're- five hours <laughs> of sunlight <laughs> and like a day, just every day. I think I wrote 30 songs in a month. Oh my gosh. I felt sick. I felt so depleted afterwards. Yeah. Um, was, was Slow to Love done at this point? Was that record finished or did some of these songs end up becoming a part of that album? Yeah, Slow to Live was done. It was out in the world. I really, I didn't want to sign that. I wanted to self-release it because I was like, this is, I know it's imperfect. I know it's raw. Mm-hmm. I know there are things I'll want to change later, but it's so pure. And I just need to have a record of something I made that's from a very pure place. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so this was in preparation for my second record. And then I got very lucky again with a cold rogue email um, which is how we made the second record because uh, Adam had come up with this amazing song. He had written the piano part and then I wrote the lyrics and we were both like, we have something super special, but we can't take it to the finish line together. We need somebody else who knows more about production than either of us. Mm-hmm. And I sent it around to a few friends to be like, what do you think? And two out of three of them came back and were like, you should reach out to Justin Vernon of Bon Iver. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and uh, yeah. And I'm, I had a manager at the time who was like, you know, you're not a very big artist. Like you shouldn't just wrote. Like, <laughs> like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. shouldn't be just rogue emailing people. <laughs> rogue emailing people. And um, I did. And uh, yeah, Justin's manager at the time reached out, like reply. I, I sent it and had, I had no expectation to ever hear back, of course. And then right. he was like, actually, we've, I've heard your first record, which was so weird. Cause I didn't think many, I mean, it was a really small, you know, record that we self-released on Bandcamp. Like, yeah. And for and him to like, find it. Wow. Yeah, He was like, I've actually heard born whole the song. And um, we love this song that you sent us and Justin would love to produce it. Wow. Yeah. So did he produce that whole record then? So he produced that song and then oh, he produced the song. Okay. What song was that? It's called the wind. Okay. And you could hear it. Like you can hear, um, especially things he was doing at that time with like the OP one that are mm-hmm. on that song. And then from that record. Yeah. From that one song, I ended up going with, with Adam, my friend, Adam out to uh, Wisconsin. And we made the second record with, he was there for some of the music, but uh, it was mostly produced by BJ Burton and Sean Carey. Really? That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. What about the, so then what happened with the, the Swedish songs? They just didn't ever come out or? Oh, no, they came out like, you know, some of them didn't because I wrote 30. Right. So we took right. like best of them. And those were the songs that I used for after. So the guys from oh. 
yeah, like that whole camp uh, basically produced the songs I'd written in Sweden. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then once that second record comes out and then obviously that's the wind is a huge, huge song and you obviously knew there's something special there. Then, you know, he produces it. Uh, are you, you signed with anti, was that a, must've been a big moment. That was a big moment. It was a, it's an interesting, it's very interesting because um, another super lucky, this was just like this extremely lucky time in my life um, that happened right before I went out to Wisconsin was um, this guy from Island Records UK, Nick Shemansky, he was actually Amy Winehouse's first manager. Wow. Heard an, uh, two singles I'd made um, in between Slow to Love and After that we made for this small label called White Iris Records. Um, mm-hmm. The songs were called New Lows and See Me Now. And he was like, I want you to come out to London uh, to meet you. And so he flew me out to London and was like, I think we should make a record here on Island. And it was such a cool opportunity, but I ultimately decided at the same time, I had this amazing offer to go to Wisconsin and Mm -hmm. um, do things a little bit more on my own terms. So that was sort of a, the two roads, major label and more independent. Right. But anti is such a cool label. I mean, obviously it's epitaph is like, it, it, it was because Epitaph is so straight up the middle with what they signed. Right. I mean, it's yeah. bad religions label and the, what they signed was just punk rock and, and that, but then they put out anti, which is a bunch of different genres of music. Totally. And, and when I signed to anti, so it was after we made the record, we sent it to anti and they wanted to sign it. When I signed to them, it just felt like, I felt like I was really at the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they have a lot of respect for artists doing their own thing and independence. And, um, I really felt like I was honoring myself and my, my decisions and that it had worked out. Mm -hmm. Does, uh, Greg Gaffin get involved at all? Did he get involved at all with that piece of it? Uh, because he, you know, he runs Epitaph and I know he gets involved quite a bit with the artists and in that process of it, or was it when, I guess you had the record done, so he wouldn't, but you did put out another album with Anti, didn't you? I did. I put out two records and my main per- point of contact, there's Andy Culkin. Okay. Who's, yeah, he's wonderful. Um, and he, it was interesting when he first signed uh, after he was um, just getting into meditation. Uh-huh. So that was something we, we had in I'm common. Kind of bonded on. Yeah. And it felt like, again, it just felt like another green light of like, I, I want to be working with people who understand the full spectrum of what I'm trying to do here. Uh-huh. Oh, it's Brett Gershwitz. I've, I, I, I named the wrong bad religion member. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I was like, it's okay. I was like, I don't, th- I was like, did I miss someone at anti all these years? No, no, no. <laughs> it was my fault. Cause then I'm like, that, that wasn't right. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify for everyone going, you're an idiot. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. So he wasn't involved in, in it at all in that point or at, when you were working through them, but that's still cool. I mean, what a cool label you get signed to them. And then do you go on the road right away with like, what was the benefit? I mean, aside from having them put the record out and everything else, like getting on anti, how did that change your career? I mean, I learned so much, like I learned so much about, the music industry from kind of seeing how that worked um, in ways that now, you know, I'm back to being independent again. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I have just benefited so much from being on a label in terms of knowing how to be independent. It's interesting in that way. Mm-hmm. It's like being sure. on a label gave me independence. Um, but yeah, then we did a bunch of touring and it's funny when I was at uh, in Wisconsin, there was also another band there finishing their first record and a band was Sylvan Esso. Oh, okay. Wow. So, yeah, it was. So, so they sang, um, Amelia sang on my record and Nick from Sylvan Esso is playing bass on a few songs and really. Yeah. And so then we went on tour with them for a few shows. I did a, a bunch of other touring in that time too. Mm-hmm. And then you put out your next record. Uh, and what was the, like, that was 2018. Is that what I saw? Mm-hmm. What was the milestone, would you say, from that album? Or how did it change? Um, I think probably what changed is that I was now living in California and I was 
kind of returning to a more like folk folk inspirations um mm-hmm. songwriter inspiration and i got to make that record in london with jimmy hogarth wow. who had on the amy winehouse frank album so that was wow. really cool because yeah that was amazing because then i got to kind of combine both worlds like amy winehouse was a huge inspiration to me mm-hmm. Bear was a huge inspiration to me and in the end i got to work with you know, work with both when you came to that fork yeah totally that's cool that is really cool so with this new record or the new ep that you have coming out mm-hmm. so when did you start this like obviously isolation hits again with covid in 2020 and you talked about being super creative during that like when you have those moments did you feel that same way once the world shut down or did you not get the same you know creative vibe from from obviously a forced isolation versus (laughs) (laughs) the other ways you wrote music i think look i i was missing the inspiration that comes from just relating in the world right that's where a lot of my music comes from. But luckily I was like, I'm trying to make a different type of music, this music that is ceremonial and healing. And these were songs that had been kind of floating in my consciousness for many years that mm-hmm. I'd been wanting to make and put to recording. And um, this was like another really mystical coming about um, during the pandemic. I had applied to get a master's, and social work. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, maybe there's a way to combine therapy and um, music. And I was really deeply just like impacted by witnessing the mental health crisis happening. Mm-hmm. And so that was something I applied for and got accepted to a program in New York. And I was contemplating going but I wasn't sure for a lot of reasons. And uh, a mentor of mine was like, I think you should do this meditation practice where it just like set up a little altar and um, you have to give something up. So like, you know, I gave up coffee. I don't really, (laughs) you know, for 10 days and you meditate just for 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes at night, and you meditate with a question. So like my question was, what is the best path for me to be of service right now? And I had done a lot of writing on it and I just sat in front of this altar every day for 10 days. And I was like, I don't, I was just trusting his guidance because I didn't have know how it was going to play out. And on the seventh day, I had a missed call from a friend of mine who I'd met in an ayahuasca ceremony, who's a musician. Mm -hmm. And um, he left me a message and he's like, you know, I was just sitting and meditating and thinking about you and wondering when you're going to make your medicine record. And I called him and I was like, you know, I really want to make it. I'm just not sure of the how, how to fund it, how to do it. And he was like, I'm going to help you make it. And he's a producer and he, that was it. We started working together. Wow. Wow. So did you, so you implemented those sounds and like the, the, from the sound bass and all the other stuff that you were doing into this record. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And wow. Okay. So the totally different approach, was that hard to, you know, write in that headspace, I guess it's, I'm sure it's a lot different than putting the earlier records together. It was a lot different because I'll tell you, it was different. It was the earlier records. Um, it's like, I would write the songs and, and then uh, like we would f- figure the songs out in the studio. And some of the songs from this record were songs that I'd already been playing for years. Okay. It was more like, how do I do them justice in the recording process? Uh-huh. Um, and it just, the whole thing was quite, was really intuitive. That's cool. And then how do you, I mean, to create a a record, did you, did, I mean, I guess my question would be like, did it come down to some of those frequencies? Was that stuff you implemented in the album or is it no, just like, okay, I'm going to use these, these instruments that I know I could, that I use during, uh, the, the, you know, these healing uh, sound baths and all that stuff. Like, how did you how did you um, like tackle the record when it came to those specific things? Yeah. I think we used a lot of my instruments that I use in sound baths um, to give it shape. And then, and then also the, like the lyrics were just songs that um, I had written 
so you know lyrics were songs were trying to explain, figure out the best way to say this like downloads i'd had in my personal work mm-hmm. with plant medicines that i'd been wanting to give form to for a while you know things i'd written down years ago that i was like one day this will find a song and then they finally did so amazing that's so cool and do you plan on uh like for this record would you approach it differently when it came to like touring it or or would you want to instead of playing maybe like a rock venue or like a different would you like are you going to do a different take on that for sure i mean i'm doing lots of like private events and um private shows but for like the the bigger ones i think i want to keep them in the experiential space Uh um and the so yeah like inviting people to lie down or you know instead of being sitting and kind of rigid I don't know. I see, I see it like a lot of outdoor spaces. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't see myself standing up. I see myself like sitting down and surrounded by my instruments and just getting to kind of do different things. That's so cool. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And the record's coming out soon, right? Next, next week or so a week after. Yeah. It's moving so fast. June 10th. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this today. I really, really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me in and giving me the space to share. Of course. This has been great. Uh, I have one more quick question. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. um, Definitely make your art. You owe it to yourself to, to see through your creations. Um, I think one thing that is present right now as after this interview is like, and never be scared to reach out to somebody who you think might resonate with your music and be rogue. There's no, (laughs) there's no one way. There's no one path for anyone. So, you know, trust your unique path.